Hey, Soma. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And uh, we know that you know us, Lord. Uh, you know every single heart, every single soul, every single person in this room. And you know where we're at today. You know our doubts, our fears, our unbelief. You know our joy. You know our faith, Father. You know us. And I pray that you would... Take us further today, deeper into your heart, deeper into your will, deeper into your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, so welcome back to Mark's Gospel. This week there's a surprise at the end. Get ready for that. Right. Uh, remember, this is where Jesus is in conflict with religious leaders. They keep asking very hostile questions. So far, we've looked at verse 7. Why does this fellow say he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Then we looked at verse 16. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Today, we're going to look at verse 18. Why don't your disciples fast? And next week, verse 24, why do your disciples break the Sabbath? Why don't they keep the Sabbath? And then in chapter 3, verse 6, they will plot to kill Jesus. So the religious leaders in this section are in conflict with Jesus. All right, let's look at this one on fasting, verses 18 to 22, as we just read. Fasting means going without food. So let's look at this. <laughs> Three points. First point, the question. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus... How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? <laughs> now, in the Old Testament, there's only one fast, and that's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Leviticus 16. But by Jesus' day, the rabbis and the Pharisees have added two fasts, two 24-hour fasts a week. Uh, and these were on Mondays and Thursdays. <laughs> so they fasted for this religious thing and that remembrance thing, this and this and that. It's amazing. The law said, the law of Moses said once a year, the Pharisees said twice a week. <laughs> uh, the Pharisees are very religious. And as you know, religious people can often go over the top like that. And Jesus' disciples didn't fast like that. Obviously, Jesus has taught his disciples not to fast in that way. So Jesus provocatively and explosively is breaking the traditions of the rabbis and the Pharisees. He's not breaking the Old Testament law. He's not breaking the Old Testament scriptures. But he is explosively breaking the traditions of the rabbis and the Pharisees or the elders. Now, my experience is that it's almost as provocative to break a tradition as it is to break the law. And uh, we have strong traditions in things like schools, or maybe you're part of a club. I'm part of Barcelona Football Club. <laughs> world's, world's best player. Uh, Messi. Uh, but boy, do they have a lot of traditions. Uh, there are strong traditions in the workplace often. There are strong traditions in political parties. Uh, 
Most human institutions develop traditions over time. And if you break them, watch out. <laughs> You're in trouble. And part of the point of being part of those institutions is you want to belong, you want to fit in. Jesus doesn't fit in. And not only that, Jesus doesn't fit in deliberately. Look at how Jesus is provocative. It's not just what he says, it's what he does. If you're part of an institution and you want to bring change, say if you're part of a denomination and you want to bring reform, committee meetings and discussing things and writing letters will only take you so far. So often what we have to do is act boldly on our convictions and that will force the issue and the fur and the dust will fly <laughs> as a result of that. Uh, and so Jesus is often provocative by what he says, but he's also provocative by what he does, or in this case, what he doesn't do. This happens a lot in Mark. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and he does what he's supposed not to do, as we'll see next week. So that's the first point. Jesus deliberately picks a fight with the religious leaders of his day over this issue of fasting, an issue that was so important to the Pharisees and to many religious people today. People see fasting as a mark of spirituality. Apparently, Jesus does not. Second point, the response. Jesus responds in verses 19 and 20. As per usual, Jesus answers a question with a question. Verse 19, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And Jesus is making us think here. The answer he's expecting is, you can't fast at a wedding. <laughs> Weddings are about celebrating and feasting, not fasting. What a wet blanket you'd be if you turned up to your daughter's wedding, for example, and you refused to eat. <laughs> uh, no one would be crazy enough to do that. And Jesus is saying, it would be ridiculous for my disciples to go around with long faces fasting when the bridegroom is with them. And when the bridegroom is here, spreading the good news of forgiveness and new life, how could they fast when I'm with them? Now, I found a cool quote by a guy named Hugh Anderson. Jesus' reply in the form of a question is expressed in the imagery of a wedding feast that would have had a special point for Jewish hearers who regarding the wedding as a not-to-be-missed celebration. The intention of this question is to show that just as glad celebration is the hallmark of a wedding feast, joy is the hallmark of his disciples. The melancholy of the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees is the melancholy of those whose pathway to God is hedged about by the requirements of fastidious religious observances. The rejoicing of the followers of Jesus is the rejoicing of those who by faith discern that the kingdom of God is here and it's coming to them as a free gift. I like that. Uh, just as glad celebration is the hallmark of a wedding feast, Joy is the hallmark of Jesus' disciples. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means having a life dominated by celebration.
Jesus himself was known for feasting, not fasting. He says in Luke 7.33, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, but I came eating and drinking, and they accused me of being a glutton and a drunkard. He was known for his partying. That was the distinctive thing about Jesus, his feasting, his partying, not his fasting. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either on the way to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. (laughs) It's true. You look at Luke's Gospel. Uh, The aroma of food is everywhere in Luke's Gospel. (laughs) And here in Mark's Gospel, Jesus has just been fasting with Levi and his friends, uh, feasting with Levi and his friends. And in this section, Jesus is saying that celebration and joy is to be the dominant way of being for those who belong to him, who've received his forgiveness and new life. And I think Jesus is saying fasting should not be uh, like a formal, mechanical arrangement practised on fixed days at certain times as a religious obligation. I think Jesus would see that as fairly meaningless and valueless. I think verses 19 and 20 mean that to fast or to not fast It's just a question of figuring out what is appropriate. When Jesus is with them, it's not appropriate to fast. It's inappropriate. When he dies and goes to his death, which he mentions in verse 20, it will be appropriate to fast. When Jesus is with you, it's time to feast. When you experience forgiveness and new life, time to celebrate. (laughs) But when I'm crucified the sadness of that day will naturally lead you to not want to eat. And that would be appropriate not to eat in the sadness of the crucifixion. But fasting would be the exception. Uh, It would be the occasional thing. It wouldn't be appropriate to be fasting all of the time. The much more dominant lifestyle would be feasting. (laughs) We're meant to be the most celebratory people on the planet. That's why we're always eating together at SOMA. And I was just thinking, you know, we could almost employ a full-time caterer. We eat so much (laughs) together. And that's really appropriate. That's appropriate that as we gather together, we want to eat and drink and laugh and tell stories and celebrate the new life that we have in Christ. Joy is the hallmark of being Jesus' disciple. And that's the main vibe. However, verse 20, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. This is the first time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus talks about his coming death. The phrase taken from them is taken from Isaiah 53, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, one of the most loved chapters in the Old Testament. It's so moving. The the great chapter, Isaiah 53, about the death of the suffering servant who we know as Jesus. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 53 of Isaiah, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. For the transgression of my people he was taken away. So wow, Jesus used the exact same word here, the same phrase here as Isaiah 53 to, to refer to his death. So the answer is we fast or we don't fast according to what's appropriate or relevant. When we're preaching the gospel, we don't fast. But when Jesus is crucified or when tragedy strikes or something like that, 
it may well be appropriate to fast. But melancholy is not our main vibe. Here's something that I discovered this week. (laughs) In medieval times, the practice of eating fish on Fridays was introduced to commemorate Jesus' death because Jesus died on a Friday. And eating fish fish was considered a fast because fish are cold-blooded, not warm-blooded. They're not meat, right? So these meatless days piled up in the medieval church calendar, not just Fridays, but Wednesdays and Saturdays and Advent and Lent and other holy days. So much so that fish fasting days became central to the growth of the global fishing industry especially the cod industry because cod became the sought-after fish because it tasted better and the Scandinavians were great at preserving cod and so they did very well out of this. And as early as 1480, English fishermen started sailing to Canada to get cod. They got there well before Columbus did but they didn't tell anybody in case the competition found out. (laughs) So Columbus didn't actually discover America. It was English fishermen looking for cod. And the practice continues today of eating fish on Fridays. Did you know that McDonald's started the fillet of fish because they weren't selling enough burgers on Fridays in certain regions? Cool. Uh, (laughs) True story, right? I love their fillet of fish, but uh, nothing to do with Fridays. Um, Now, there's an example of fasting. What would Jesus think of that? I think he'd say that you know, eating a delicious plate of cod on a Friday as a mark of a religious obligation is, well, it's pointless. You know, it really doesn't mean anything. Maybe if uh, you ate a slab of uncooked cod in cold water uh, with ice, uh, maybe, no, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be uh, point, uh, meaningful either <laughs> to Jesus. It seems to me that Jesus is standing against that kind of religious tradition, because it has no value. Now, some commentators have interpreted this text as, yes, it wasn't appropriate to fast while Jesus was with us on earth, but after the crucifixion and resurrection, fasting will come back as a normal obligation for Christians, just as it was in Judaism. But that's blown out of the water by the next point, the third point of this passage, which is the two parables in verses 21 and 22. If you look at verses 21 and 22, Jesus tells twin parables. He uses illustrations from everyday life. These are the first parables in Mark's Gospel. He talks about repairing an old garment and he says something that's pretty obvious. He says, verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment that has already shrunk. If you did, you know, it would make the tear worse, right? That's just common sense. In verse 22, no one pours new wine, which is fizzing with new life, into old wineskins that have become hard and brittle and will disintegrate if you do. The wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Seems pretty clear to me that these two parables, um, and Jesus often gives you twin parables, that what Jesus is showing us here is the radical incompatibility between the old institutions of Judaism and the structures of religious obligation that were part of Judaism 
between that on the one hand and the new life of Jesus and the gospel. And he's saying that what may have been appropriate until this moment, what has been appropriate until the bridegroom came, is no longer appropriate. This is so typical of Jesus. He's saying his arrival changes everything. From now on, we say no to that and yes to this. From now on, we look at these things entirely differently. From now on, what was relevant before is no longer relevant. What was appropriate before no longer is appropriate. Now, you can imagine how liberating this was for the Gentile churches that the Apostle Paul founded. What's so interesting is the Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, for example, to the Galatian churches, and they wanted to force the young Gentile churches to take on the structures of the Jewish way of life, attempting to give them a structure for their spirituality. And Paul goes into full-on attack mode. He pounces like a tiger. He says, no way. That's a different gospel. You can't do that. These old institutions, those old laws, these formal traditions of Judaism are no longer appropriate. What Jesus is saying here is so radical. This is why they will kill him. So now, how did this work out in practice? Jesus didn't fast much. He did for those 40 days when he was being tempted, but maybe because he didn't have food. There wasn't food available, which is why Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread. So, yeah, he did fast on occasion, but fasting was the exception. He was known as a feaster, not a faster. And in Jesus' teaching, he doesn't mention fasting much at all. Except Matthew 6, where he attacks doing it for show. He says, if you do it, do it privately. And when we come to the story of the early church in Acts of the Apostles, fasting is only occasional. It's used when there's an important decision to make to keep the mind clear. And when the first missionaries are sent into the Gentile world in Acts 13, they prayed and fasted before selecting, laying on hands and sending the missionaries out. And that seems appropriate. After the apostolic age, if you look at church history, the moment the apostles have all died in the second century, legalism, which is is excessive rule-keeping, legalism quickly grew in the medieval church. By the Middle Ages, um, religious traditionalism, now I'm using these big words, traditionalism, which means strict adherence to tradition, where tradition has become way too authoritative. Tradition has become your authority. That's called traditionalism. So by the Middle Ages, religious traditionalism of the Jewish kind became the norm. So all this stuff came back into the church over time. And what happened after that, the Reformation happened. Reforming the church strongly attacking this kind of legalism and formalism. Now, formalism, yeah, it's another word. Formalism means emphasising the outward form rather than faith, right? Doing all this stuff. Um, so that came, that came back in the church. So at the Reformation, they attacked all of that and said, no, people need to be set free. Um, 
by Jesus Christ from that kind of legalism and formalism. And there's still pressure, uh, I think, from religious types in the church today to bring back these obligations as a mark of spirituality. It's a real problem in the Catholic Church, of course, but I think it's a real problem now in the evangelical church too. Uh, And here's something I found out. Um, The older translations of the New Testament uh, use the word fasting in four places that they should not. Uh, All the evidence shows that in those four cases, the the earliest texts of the Greek don't have the word fasting. Um, So what has happened is the scribes, as they've copied out the scriptures in the first centuries, they added the word fasting four times in, in different places in the New Testament. And that got through, for example, into the King James Version. So in Mark 9.29, the King James Version, uh, Jesus replied, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. But modern textual analysis shows that and fasting isn't part of the text. It's not part of the original. So the NIV translation, and I think all modern translations, don't have and fasting. So I find that really interesting. Uh, that someone brought up in religious formalism with all these rules has been scribing the New Testament and they thought, oh, yeah, I'll add and fasting um, four times, even though this is the word of God and you can't add to it. Um, So there's an intense desire, I think, uh, among many people to make Christianity religious, to bring it into line with Jewish institutional formalism Uh, This is right through 2,000 years of Christianity. But Jesus and the apostles are against it. Jesus came to set us free from that. Another thing that's fascinating is that the Old Testament prophets are also against it. So this is back well before Jesus. Prophets like Isaiah railed against the Jewish understanding of fasting, for example. And in one sense, Jesus is bringing in the life that they were already pointing to, you know. Uh, So, for example, Isaiah 58 verse 3 is just so brilliant. It says, the people of God, the people say to God, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And God answers, yet on the day of your fasting, You do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for the bowing of one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your life will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
and then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Isaiah, <laughs> the prophet, isn't it so great? And what, what does fasting mean uh, for us? According to Isaiah, it means not being on the take, paying our bills on time, treating our staff fairly, giving to charities, caring for pensioners, widows and orphans. In other words, living the life that Jesus teaches us to live. So here's the surprise. I hope you've been waiting for this surprise. Here it is. You know, the surprise of this passage is that in a conventional sense, Jesus is not religious. Who would have thought that when the Son of God came on earth, he would not be religious? What a relief. I mean, have you ever been put off by religious types, by religious display which isn't real, that doesn't ring true? Have you ever been turned off by that? If you're an authentic and sincere and honest person, you will be turned off by that. And Jesus is against it too. He's against Pharisaism. He's against formalism. He's against traditionalism. He's against legalism. He's against fasting that doesn't actually change your life. He would say that that is a farce. Right? Just change the word slightly. (laughs) Because he's talking about something that is serious. In other words, he does not divide the religious life on Sunday from the normal life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The thing about Jesus is he is absolutely authentic. To think that you can fast on one day and then do what you like the next day, that's compartmentalising your life. And that kind of thing has brought Christianity into disrepute for millennia. Jesus in Mark 2 goes right to the heart of the issue. Yes, for sure, fast if that's appropriate, if that helps you pray, if that helps bring your appetite under control. Whatever is appropriate. But if you do fast, do it privately. Don't do it to show others how spiritual you are. And don't do it as a matter of religious obligation. And don't think that these old forms of Judaism are suitable for the new world of Jesus and the gospel. The new world and the new life, the new wine of Jesus is all about joy and happiness, a life of celebration. Don't let fasting become the dominant thing in your life. Christians are to live the most celebratory lives on the planet.